Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Age of Radio. You are listening to Texas History Lessons. Slow walk through Texas history made in Texas by a Texan for everyone, everywhere. Welcome to Texas History Lessons. I'm Michael. Thanks for joining me as we continue the current lesson. This is part two of the lesson that's beginning the Spanish Borderlands series, where we look at the development of Texas under New Spain. But we're starting at the very beginning. And in the last episode, I started with some ideas, beliefs, words, messages, and symbols that inspired a set of events that over time that resulted in different forms of government, practices, methodologies, laws, etc. that had a great significance in the history of the world. And they all came and converged on the Iberian Peninsula over hundreds and hundreds of years. And each had a role to play in the development of the civilization and society that would someday become modern Spain and would be carried across the Atlantic, creating New Spain and eventually the province of Texas on New Spain's northeast borderland. In the beginning, in 1492, Spain, as we know it, did not exist. The ideas, the concepts of what Spain would be were there, in part, And the events that happened over hundreds of years before would be impactful on the ideas, attitudes, and messages that would be carried across the Atlantic. First to the Canary Islands, then to the islands of the Caribbean, then to the continents of North and South America. And they would have significance on what became Texas. Learning about history involves the story of the past and the analysis of the things that made the story occur in the way that it did. And this analysis requires an understanding of many things. To better understand the history of anything, Texas included, requires quite a bit. You have to take into consideration the ideas of the politics, economics, social issues, art, religion, science, intellectual thought, cultural development, technology, and military conflicts. It is the analysis of all of these factors All of these contributing ideas and influences where disagreement comes between historians. Now, let me be clear about one thing. I am not pretending to have all the answers. I have many questions and I'm curious. And one of the reasons it's taken me a while to get to this part of Texas history lessons is because I wanted to take it seriously. I've been reading and thinking 
and looking at different things for a really long time. And now we're finally getting into it. And as I've said before, normally it would be pretty fast to cover the history of Texas. As I've said before, Spain came, Mexico gained independence, Sam Houston, Stephen Austin, the Alamo, San Jacinto, Texas becomes a republic, then a state. Pretty simple, right? But I already know that simple standard recitation of the history of Texas. I want more of the context. I want more answers as to the why of it all. When did Texas begin? Definitely not in 1836. There's a lot more to this story. Didn't begin in 1821 either. Concepts and institutions that developed during the Reconquista, which we're going to be learning about very soon, shaped the destiny of New Spain and for millions of people that lived in the Western Hemisphere of the Americas. These practices created ways of governance in New Spain, and New Spain's activities created the situation that resulted in the rebellion of Mexico and later Texas. I want to understand more of this story. A few centuries before Columbus's voyage and Spain's acquisition of a vast overseas empire, some other Europeans, Norsemen, had already landed on the North American continent and briefly attempted settlement. It's pretty well accepted in common knowledge now. We don't focus a lot on it because it didn't last. It did not last, and word of it did not spread. This was before the beginning of the printing press was invented in the 1400s. The printing press spread word of Columbus's voyage to the New World, and everybody got excited. Ideas would fuel the conquistadors push north to search for treasures to match those gained by Cortez in Mexico. Ideas would shape the way the rulers of New Spain and the missionaries interacted with the American populations that had lived there already for thousands of years. Ideas would fuel the revolution that led to Mexican independence. The events and practices under the dominance of the Viceroyalty of New Spain would shape and create the place and people of Mexico. What were the growing pains that Mexico faced and the leaders of Mexico faced? And mixed up in all of this is the idea of identity. When did people start seeing themselves as Mexicans, as different from Spain? When did Texas begin? What was life like in the earliest days that the idea of Texas started to form? How did the indigenous populations of Texas react to the ideas being brought by the representatives of New Spain? And how were their reactions similar to or different from the other reactions of other indigenous people of New Spain? Why did settlement grow so slowly in Texas? And why did Mexico lose Texas? To search for answers to these questions and more, we will begin with Spain in the Reconquista, then travel with the Spanish explorers and rulers to the New World and establish efforts at extracting wealth from it. The ideas and views that these new rulers followed would shape the way they interacted with northern territories, including Texas. In time, we will compare the methods of New Spain with those methods of settlement pursued by Great Britain and France. We will look closely at the reasons Mexico had for allowing Austin and other impresarios to settle Anglo settlers from the United States. We will look closely at the ideas that shaped the dreams and aspirations of these settlers. And as I made clear at the beginning of the lesson, we will begin much earlier than 1836. So as we proceed forward with these Texas history lessons, my number one focus will be 
to tell an interesting story that requires me and you to use your imagination. Now, I'm not talking about imagination in terms of making things up. That is the antithesis of what I'm trying to do. But be imaginative in trying to see things as they would have been to try to ask questions and make learning that story interesting and compelling. At the heart of this, aside from all the ideas to consider, all the degrees of interpretation and filtering through disagreements, at the heart of this is the very simple fact that all of this, the study of the history of Texas and of all the world, what we're really talking about are the lives of real people, human beings that walk here before us, living, loving, creating, destroying, losing, winning, killing, pillaging, saving lives, raising families, creating art, dreaming and building their futures into our present. Not statues of stone to be worshipped or monsters to be feared. Real people dealing with all the adversities and beauty of their times. That's the real focus, often requiring the use of different perspectives. And along with that, I will try to involve the analysis of the ideas and factors as much as we can of the various ideas and contributing factors, which in time will require us to look at different theories, competing theories about the story's progress. I'll be telling a story of the history as authentic and engaging as I can make it and looking at the aspects where there might be some disagreement. In the end, it's going to be your job to decide what you think and to dig into the work on your own to increase your knowledge and create your own informed opinions. As I've mentioned before, historian of Spanish Texas Donald Chipman wrote, even though not all Spanish influences affect the day-to-day -day lives of Texans, they are important enough to deserve more recognition than that traditionally given to them in most histories of the Lone Star State. As historians Gerald E. Pollo and Gilberto M. Inahosa have remarked, historians of Texas usually treat colonial Texas as a colorful, but for the most part irrelevant prelude to the rest of the state's history. Our goal with Texas History Lessons is to search for relevancy of the events. The podcast gives us the luxury that most teachers in schools and colleges don't have unless they're teaching a specialized class or upper graduate course that focuses on the period closely. We can take the time to look very closely with broad perspective to try to understand better why the things in Texas happened the way they did between 1519 and 1821. And this requires paying attention to things going on in Mexico, Spain, and elsewhere in the world. And by the end, I hope to understand the time period better myself and give the people that lived back then some deserving attention. The new Spain we're going to see did not have great success in Texas, but it did leave vast imprint and legacy in Texas. The events of the Spanish period are the foundation for what came afterward and has tremendous importance. The most obvious legacy of Spain and Texas is found in the many Spanish names for counties, places, rivers, creeks, towns, and cities. And in an earlier episode, I said that 42 of Texas's 254 counties have Hispanic names or anglicized derivations. That's about one-sixth. 
And I've looked at it, the list myself, and I think I can get it up to 43. Angelina County is named for the Angelina River, which is Angelina was a Spanish missionary's nickname for a woman of the Hassanai tribe, meaning little angel. Aransas County gets its name from Aranzazu, a Spanish Bosque word meaning thorny place. And it's named after the Aransas River. Atascosa is a Spanish word for boggy. And the Atascosa River is where it gets its name from. And, by the way, if you haven't listened to Kate Anson's Atascosa County song, I think you definitely should. But I digress. Bandera gets its name from Bandera Mountains. And Bandera is the Spanish word for flag. Bear County is named in honor of the birthplace of a Spanish viceroy. Uh, the town's name was Bear. Also, Blanco is named for the Blanco River, and Blanco is white in Spanish. Bosque, named for the Bosque River, Spanish for woods. Brazoria County is named after its county seat, which gets its name from uh, the Brazos River, which is a Spanish-named river, uh, Brazos meaning arms. Then Brazos County also named for the Brazos River, again, arms, Brazos de Dios, arms of God. Colorado is the Colorado River, Spanish for red. Comal County named after the Comal River, Spanish for basin. Concho County, named after the Concho River. Concho meaning shell. El Paso, everybody's familiar with. It came from the El Paso del Norte, which is Spanish for the Northern Pass. Frio County, named after the Frio River. Frio is cold in Spanish. Galveston County was named in honor of Viceroy Bernardo de Galvez. Garza was named after... A prominent San Antonio family, the family of Jose Antonio de la Garza. He lived from 1776 to 1851. Goliad County gets its name from Hidalgo. Remember the priest that started the Mexican War of Independence? Well, they made the name Goliad from as an anagram, dropping the H and created Goliad. That might be why the other list had 42 instead of 43, but I'm counting it. Uh, Gonzalez, the county seat, also named Gonzalez, was named after Mexican Governor Rafael Gonzalez. Guadalupe County, named after Guadalupe River, which was named after Our Lady of Guadalupe, a Mexican icon we'll talk about in just a minute. Hidalgo, again, was named after the priest Miguel Hidalgo, who inspired the Mexican War for Independence. Lampasas County, named after the Lampasas River, Spanish for lilies. Lavaca, the Lavaca River, Spanish for the cow. Leon, Martin de Leon, an impresario. Uh, Llano County was named after the Llano River, which is Spanish for plains. Matagorda County uh, was named for the once indigenous cane breaks that were located there and Matagorda was Spanish for a thick bush Medina County named after the Medina River 
and the river was named after the Spanish engineer Pedro Medina. Navarro County was named after Jose Antonio Navarro, signer of the Texas Declaration of Independence and a congressman in the Republic. He lived from 1795 to 1871. The Nueces River inspired the name of Nueces County, and that's Spanish for nuts. Palo Pinto, the that's Palo Pinto Creek, uh, gave the name to the county, and Palo Pinto is Spanish for painted stick. Pecos County gets its name from the Pecos River, and it's an it's an unknown origin, meaning that I've been able to find, um, but it is a Spanish term. Uh, Presidio County, named after Presidio del Norte, a Spanish fort across the Rio Grande. Uh, Refugio County is named after the county seat and was named after in honor of the mission to waste Senora del Refugio. I'm probably saying that wrong. I think that's one of those one of those uh, Texas towns and counties that has a different pronunciation that I'm not familiar with. Let somebody let me know. Sabine is Spanish for Cyprus, and Augustine County was named after Viceroy Augustine de Ahumada. San Jacinto was named in honor of the Battle of San Jacinto, and the river that was named after St. Hyacinth, San Patricio, the county seat, St. Patrick, uh, San Saba was named after the San Saba River and St. Sabas, Trinity River, uh, inspired the name for Trinity County, which was named in honor of uh, the Holy Trinity. Uvalde County was named in honor of Spanish General Juan de Ugalde. We covered that in a recent episode. And Valverde County was named after the Battle of Valverde and it's a Spanish term meaning Green Valley. Uh, Victoria County was named in honor of Guadalupe Victoria, the first president of Mexico. Zapata was named after Antonio Zapata y Cisneros, who was a post-independence rebel against Santa Ana. And then Zavala County was named after Lorenzo de Zavala, an impresario, Mexican governor, Texas Declaration of Independence signer, and interim republic vice president. There are hundreds of physiographic features, including the Llano Estacado, Guadalupe Mountains, Padre Island, uh, Palo Duro Canyon, that uh, remind us of the Spanish explorers and conquistadors that traveled through Texas several years before the English even set foot on the Atlantic coast of North America. Every major Texas river except for the Red River has a name that is Spanish or an anglicized derivation and we covered a few of those but we got the Rio Grande that means Great River it flows 1896 miles from its origin in south central Colorado to the Gulf of Mexico again the Nueces River was named after the abundance of pecan trees that could be found on its banks when the first Spanish explorers arrived. It starts up in the Edwards Plateau and flows 315 miles towards the Gulf. And this, we're working north, south to north. Uh, moving northward, the San Antonio River originally began at some springs about four miles north of downtown San Antonio. And it has a little help during its existence at the famed San Antonio River Walk now, then returns to its natural state and flow flows about... Uh, 240 miles until it hits the Guadalupe River, about 10 miles from San Antonio Bay on the Gulf of Mexico. It, like the city, was named in the 1690s to honor St. Anthony of Padua, 
a Portuguese Catholic priest and friar of the Franciscan order and the patron saint of lost things. And a few years ago, I did, well, actually several years ago, I went to an environmental history conference in San Antonio, and they took me on a tour of the, and some of the other people on a tour of the San Antonio River to the place where the springs originally uh, began. So that just know that when you see the river walk, it's artificial. Because when you, if you go find the river south of town, it's not going to be flowing quite that full anymore. And the springs are, have been severely hurt by, by urban development. But I digress again. Um, Alonso de Leon gave the Guadalupe River its name in 1691 to honor Nuestra Senora de Guadalupe or Our Lady of Guadalupe, a Catholic title for Mary, Jesus's mom. And the name Guadalupe Park comes from a series of five appearances by Mary in December of 1531. And there's a venerated image on a cloak that's enshrined within the Basilica of Our Lady of Guadalupe in Mexico City. This river flows 409 miles of the Gulf of Mexico. Again, La Vaca means the Cow River. That actually is interesting because French explorer LaSalle had called it Riviere de Vache. And the Spanish took it and turned it into Spanish, making it the, the Cow River. It's a short 117 miles before hitting Lavaca Bay, uh, which is actually part of the larger Matagorda Bay. Colorado River, of course, means red or reddish river. It's a really long river, um, about 865 miles long. The Brazos, again, comes from the name Rio de los Brazos de Dios, translated the river of the arms of God. And that, after the arm, it's created... Uh, by the merger of two really long headwater forks that hit together and formed the river proper, and it goes for 840 miles. The San Jacinto River is a very short river. Um, it's named, again, after St. Hyacinth, or St. Jacinto. In French, it's Hyacinth, um, uh, who was a young 2nd century martyr. It's only 85 miles long. Uh the Trinity River moving north, La Santisma Trinidad, meaning the Holy Trinity. It flows 710 miles from the DFW area. The Spaniards named the next river up Rio Natchez, adopting it. We think it's from a Caddo word for the wood of the bow, Nachawi. And then the Sabine River, Rio de Sabinas, was named by Domingo Ramon in 1716. And it name means River of Junipers. It flows 360 miles south to the Gulf and forms much of Texas' eastern border with Louisiana. And we can't forget about the Pecos River, the Frio, we've talked about them, Lano, Angelina, the Blanco, the Bosque, Concho, Lampasas, Leon, Navidad, Pedernales, Medina, San Bernard, San Gabriel, and San Saba, with some of those I mentioned when we were going over the counties. Spanish explorers did give name to, I mentioned, Palo Dura Canyon. It's the second largest canyon in the United States, located up in the Panhandle. It was the last refuge for the Comanches in the 1870s, and Charles Goodnight did not waste time after they moved to the reservation to moving his cattle ranching enterprise there. Palo Duro means hard wood. Uh, the biggest name legacy the Spanish contributed, of course, is the name of Texas itself. To quote W.W. Newcomb Jr. from his book, Indians of Texas, when he was writing about the Caddos, he said, to many Texans, their greatest significance lies in the fact that the state name was derived from the Hessenai Confederation of Caddos. 
the tribes of this confederation called each other Taishas or Taishas, meaning allies or friends. And the Spaniards, to whom it was also applied, soon came to employ the word for these and other friendly natives. Probably the pronunciation of the term is closer to Taishas or Taishas than to Texas. But how did Taishas, Taishas, Tejas become Texas? Well, the great Donald Chipman explains in his book, Spanish Texas, when Spaniards first contacted the Caddos in 1689, they may have been greeted by members of the nation with the word Tachos. Again, what Newcomb said, T-C-H-A-S, he spells it, meaning friend in Caddoan speech. In any event, the Spanish wrote it down as T-E-J-A-S. And those familiar with the Spanish language are aware that the J and X have identical sound in words, and the change of spelling of T-E-J-A-S to T-E-X-A-S was an easy transition. No Texas Indian group called themselves the Tejas, but the name was often mistakenly used by Europeans interchangeably for the Hasanai Confederacy. And Chipman continues by saying, rightly so, to said, thanks to the Indians in East Texas and the influence of a few Spanish officials who for a change insisted on a simple name like Texas, rather than a complex name for the province, Tejas becomes Texas instead of being the new kingdom of the Philippines, which actually was a term used for a while in reference to the province of Texas. Our best and earliest understanding of the first peoples of the area that became Texas comes from the rich historical record and literature from that era. The maps, diaries, itineraries, accounts, counts, records, and letters, Hispanic explorers and pioneers. They're the foundation documents for Texas history. The oldest known document of Texas history is the map of the Gulf Coast drawn by or on the voyage of Alonso Alvarez de Pinata in 1519, and the earliest descriptive accounts of Texas date from the late 1530s when Cabeza de Vaca and his fellow survivors from the ill-fated Narvaez expedition recorded their joint report after they finally reached Mexico in 1536 after wandering for years through Texas and northern Mexico. Uh, they, they, when they got there, they set down their recollections in a joint report and then De Vaca, Cabeza de Vaca, set down his own recollections in 1542 in a book he called Shipwrecks. Um, the two narratives, they, they're the first literature of Texas, and they provide us with invaluable information on the indigenous peoples of Texas. And so for about eight years, they travel across Texas, northern Mexico, and both records are pretty remarkable accounts. And rather than have harsh feelings after being enslaved, it's surprising. Cabeza de Vaca actually had some respect and attachment for the Native Americans, and it caused some conflict with his, about his opinion, but more on that very soon. The records from the 1540s expeditions of Francisco Vasquez de Coronado and the Hernando de Soto uh, expedition at the same time gave us early geographic and ethnographic information about New Mexico, the Great Plains, the Panhandle, and East Texas. And in them, we first learned of the Wichitas, the Apaches. Pedro de Castaneda was the one that traveled with Coronado. He wrote, a, he wrote a narrative that gives us important information on the first European contacts with the Apaches and experiences on the High Plains. And chroniclers of the, the Soto expedition provide the first information on the Caddos. 
And you can find really nice editions of these books for fairly reasonable price. And you can even get digital versions even more affordable. And it really is fun to read them. But I am a history nerd, so there's that. Missionaries also left important records. There's Father Espinosa and Juan Augustine Morphy's. Uh, their literature that they left provides very valuable insight into the life of colonial Texas. Colonial, there's a term that a lot of people don't like being applied because there again, I fell into one of these little things because technically New Spain was not a colony. It was a kingdom in its own right. Um, then we have archives in Seville, Mexico City, and San Antonio that are packed with records of early Texas. And so from the years between the early 1500s and 1821, when Texas was part of New Spain's northern borderlands, it also contributed many more elements of life and culture beyond the historical records and literature. Been over this before, the Spanish explorers, missionaries, and earliest settlers established one of the most iconic and important things associated with Texas, cattle ranching. The Spanish expeditions of the 1680s brought along cattle, horses, and mules. Some of this stock strayed or was left behind when the Spanish abandoned Texas for a while in 1693, and these animals thrived in the wild. Systematic ranching began in earnest in the 1720s. Each mission had herds of cattle, and Native Americans that were put in charge of caring for the cattle were among the first true Texas cowboys. Many words in stock-raising terminology are still used. Cinch, rodeo, remuda, chaps, lasso, corral are either Spanish or of Spanish derivation. And then when the settlers from the United States began moving into Texas in the 1820s, they brought their own cattle ranching heritage and the two heritages merged together and set the stage for the great long drives that populated the American West with cattle after the Civil War. If you haven't listened to that series that I did earlier this year or last year, go check it out. There's about seven, six or seven episodes on the long drive era. And then ranching remains an important economic endeavor today, and it's a way of life and tradition also in Texas. And the settlers of New Spain also brought farming and irrigation methods to Texas. And along with ranching, there's the urban aspect to consider. There's preeminently San Antonio needs to be mentioned, and many the many, many other towns and cities that originated in the Spanish era. San Antonio is considered the oldest municipality in Texas, but the matter of the oldest settled area, excluding the areas originally inhabited by Native Americans, is a matter of debate. Goliad dates to 1749. Austin was not established until the 1830s, but the Franciscans had established a mission San Jose de los Nozones near Barton Springs in 1730. San Augustine was established in 1717. Nacogdoches promotes itself as the oldest town in Texas and was settled in 1716. They promote this because there is evidence that indigenous peoples have lived there for over 10,000 years. Isleta in El Paso County was founded in 1680. El Paso also dates to 1680. The site of Presidio was visited by Cabeza de Vaca in 1535. People were living there, and the town itself claims to have been founded in 1683. And we shouldn't forget Penitas, Los Penitas. In the mid-1520s, a priest and five other Spaniards are said to have survived the Norveas expedition and founded the town. Now, this isn't the Norveas expedition that resulted in Cabeza de Vaca and the others being cast away. No, this was an earlier expedition in which Norveas was sent to fight Cortez. Cortez pretty much 
whipped them pretty bad. And these people are said to have founded the town of Las Penitas. Um, that, like I said, that expedition did not end well either. And supposedly these, that town was found, founded. The numerous missions, many that you can go and visit today made a lasting impact in Texas. If you want to do some real Texas time traveling in one day, you can visit all the missions in San Antonio and get a really good perspective of that time period. My wife and I did this just last year. And after having studied about Coatecons and Caroncoas and the impact they had, I, it changed the way I experienced each site, um, including Mission San Antonio de Valero or the Alamo, as many remember it. It was a mission as well as being the site of the 1836 battle. And the bones of many Coatecons are buried on the grounds that you walk across when you're visiting the battlefield. Spain also had a large legacy in Texas due to many Spanish legal practices that survived to become permanent part of the state's body of law, especially in rules of judicial procedure, land and water law, and family law. And also about one-seventh of all private lands in Texas have titles emanating from Spanish sovereigns or Mexican officials. Beyond the names, the ranching and farming traditions, the towns and cities, the legal influence, the missions, and the historical record, Spain also has a Texas legacy in other areas, art, architecture, education, music, theater, medicine, and religion. And, you know, I'd want to quote again briefly from an editorial by Joe Avia Jr., where he stressed in 1999, a thing he wrote, that Spain's heritage is a part of the continuing heritage of every Texan, whatever tongue we speak. And in future lessons... I am going to be taking a very look at the foundations of Spain that had influence in the development of Texas. I'll be revisiting some questions that I've asked before and will keep asking, what is Texas? When did Texas begin to exist? What does it mean to be a Texan? Now, we're going to sail with Pineda. We're going to fight Cortez with Narvaez. We will travel Texas with Cabeza de Vaca and march with the conquistadors in search of treasures. We're going to stand with indigenous people as strange bearded men in robes try to tell us the words of a man who had been executed on a cross. We will ride with the first cowboys at the missions. We're going to watch the Apaches and Comanches and other tribes start riding horses for the first time and catapult them into a new level of power and domination. And we're going to meet interesting people and try to understand what motivated them to do what they did. There are many adventures awaiting us as we start the lessons on Spanish Texas, and I am getting excited to get going here finally. Uh, just a brief moment here. I want to take a break and thank Age of Radio for hosting Texas History Lessons, and we'll be right back to wrap up the show. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. 
Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Okay. Briefly, next uh, plan is we're gotta we're going to be looking at the Muslim era and the Reconquista. We're going to look at the legacy of the Reconquista. We're going to be looking at the dawn of Texas history. Columbus comes. Cortez comes over. Uh, we'll be looking at the Pineda expedition, the Arnovea's expedition, Cabeza de Vaca, Esteban and Fray Marcos, Coronado, conquistadors in East Texas, the northward advance towards Texas that occurred between 1543 and 1680. And on and on, we've got a lot of good things planned. So there you go. I think this is a good spot to end our lesson on ideas and influences and how things have been shaped by New Spain and Spain. And I want to end with a, a selection of quotes, if you will humor me just for a little bit longer. And I think this is probably the three best things that I've probably shared in this entire two-part episode. The first is from T.R. Fahrenbach's forward in a book uh, edited by Helen Simmons or Simons and Catherine A. Hoyt. And this is from a massive book called Hispanic Texas, a historical guide. It's a great book. I found it for like five bucks, a real steal. Look for it. If you get a chance, he wrote the Hispanic heritage of Texas is something that was, but it's also something that is. It's with us, independent of any interpretation of history. We are, I would hope, beginning to recognize that it is a misuse of the past to peruse it solely in search of heroes and villains, ideologies or anathemas, or to seek historical people either to identify with or dislike. History is a process that rarely proves it happens, makes, shapes, and goes on. The Hispanic heritage of Texas does not belong to Hispanics or the Spanish speaking alone. It is the continuing heritage of every Texan. It is a part of our common past and a part of our present reality. Second, I'd like to pull one more quote from Gordon Wood, who I talked about in the first part of this lesson. And this is in regards to the lessons of the past, his opinions. And in the book, The Idea of America, he wrote, If the study of history teaches anything, it teaches us the limitations of life. It ought to produce prudence and humility. And Gordon Wood's career in writing serve as an example of this lesson. And I'm going to try to be prudent, cautious, and humble in the future Texas history lessons. And last, I'm going to close with a list of things that kind of summarize a lot of the things that physicist Richard Feynman taught. And why are you adding this? It's because I can, and I think it's important. Um, a lot of the concepts he pushed in his life are very important. And they're, they're, this is pretty simple summaries. Number one, study hard. Number two, what others think of you is none of your business. Number three, it's okay not to have all the answers. Number four, experiment, 
fail, learn, and repeat. Number five, knowledge comes from experience. Number six, imagination is important. Number seven, do what interests you the most. And the most important one that I think is the last one here, stay curious. And with that, I want to thank everybody that's helped me out with Patreon and on Buy Me a Cup of Coffee. Those are in the show notes, the links to that, if you'd like to help me out. I recently had found some really great books to use for research and preparation for Texas History Lessons. And uh, everybody's help helps alleviate the cost of these things. I want to thank everybody that's listening. Share it with a friend. This is the most important thing you can do is share the show. And we're going to end this one with a song by Kate Anson. And it's going to be Atascosa County, as I spoke about Atascosa in this episode. So that's going to be it. Thanks for listening. Take care of yourself. Take care of each other. Be kind. Adios. Stay here tonight, I'll be dead. I'm tired of the east in this land, it'll concrete, old train house, and I went, I don't get much sleep. And oftentimes I'll wonder where them old tracks lead. Well, they take my South and East Oh, take me back to out of school County City girls are messing with my head Oh, they never seem to leave me how they found me If I stay here tonight, I'll be dead So I'm tired of the east in this life Gasoline, train house, and I went I don't get much sleep And oftentimes I'll wonder where them old tracks lead Will they take me back to Atascosa County?